The goal is to start with a moment of silence that builds anticipation, so I've heard. On Sunday night, we are uh, have been going through a series that I've called Unswerving, which is based on Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. That verse says there, very simply, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And as I've explained on various evenings, uh, what I attempt to do is take what we're talking about Sunday morning and identify a character within the story of the Old Testament or even the New that personifies the struggle and a person going through that. So if you're new to this Sunday night or if you're a guest here this evening, that's what we are doing and that's where that came from. I want to ask you... uh, I know, especially on a Sunday night crowd, this is a little bit risky, but go ahead and be risky. Uh, I want to ask you to participate in a brief, very unscientific poll. It seems like the news is dominated by unscientific polls these days. And uh, so I want to ask you, this is not method tested or anything like that. Uh, there are three basic types of 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 people when it comes to how you are with your money. And there are givers. There are natural people who naturally love to give, and just they just give and give all the time. My wife is a giver. She got that from her dad, who loves to give. It's just something he's he's. That's the way he and she express love is by giving. I'm not a natural giver. Confession time. It's just not in my DNA. For a variety of reasons, I'm not a natural giver. I had to grow in the grace of giving, and part of that is due to the north side, and a large part of that is due to my wife. Um, so I was in youth ministry. I knew how many lock-ins I had to do to earn that paycheck and how hard it would be to earn more of them. Okay, so there are givers, people who just, wherever they are, and it can be money, time, talent, you know people like this, natural givers, okay? Then there are natural savers. People who are always saving up for a rainy day. You know, the squirrels are always harvesting the nuts. They're just always, you know, socking away because the end is coming. Okay, I'm a saver. Okay. Um, but, and that's not a bad thing either. Uh, the scriptures tell us that the wise man and the house of the wise man are choice stores of food and oil. That's not an unwise thing to do. You can, be take, it, you can take it too far, um, but there are people who are natural savers. And then there are natural spenders. And these people are fun to go on vacation with, as long as they're paying. <laughs> okay? Uh, they just enjoy the process of, of, of spending and, and bringing joy to other people, but just, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but that's just how they express it. My son, Tyler, I told you before, he's a, he's a spender. You know? And All right, so in the unscientific poll, are you a giver, a saver, or a spender? Okay, we'll start with the first one first. How many of you in here are natural givers? Okay. All right. How many of you are natural savers? Okay. All right. We'll be prepared when the end comes. Everybody will be coming to our food storage units. Uh, how many of you are natural spenders? Okay. Good. Good. Confession is good for the soul. Uh, <laughs> none of them? Oh, you love it. <laughs> okay. The reason I ask that question is because what we're going to talk about tonight 
has a great deal to do with this. I, I told you before, I carry my money in a clip, and I don't carry all my money in a clip, but this is kind of my walking around money. And I get a little bit every two weeks and try to keep some money in it. Um, because I'm a saver, my goal is to spend as little of that as possible. I consider it successful if I get back to payday and I've still got some here. Yeah, a win. Um, the other day, on Saturday morning, we went to the Goddard Fall Festival. And on the evening before that, Friday evening, we went to a football game to watch Cameron Cothran. Now, on both of those occasions, I just happened to be going with Tyler. And so I, I illustrate the story to make a couple of points. On Friday night, when we went to the game, he had his own money, uh, but he didn't really want to spend it. He asked me if I would buy him a Coke from the concession stand, which I was willing to do because I'm a good father. <laughs> so I said, yeah, I'll buy you Coke, but anything beyond that is yours. Okay, So he, he said, okay. He got, went down and bought the Coke, and then, of course, he was tempted. And so he bought something he spent, I can't remember, $5 or something of his own money on some snack. So he came back, and he gave me my Coke, and... And uh, he got the one that I had bought for him, and then he had candy or whatever it was. And the next day, on Saturday, we went to the fall festival in Goddard. And <clears throat> as we, you know, the way they kind of do it is they block off Main Street, and they have a parade. And after the parade, you can go wander around. There's tons of craft booths and food and all sorts of stuff. And... I told the kids that I would each give them each $5 that was from me, and it was up to them how to use it. I said, if you don't spend it at all, that's fine. It's yours to keep. Or you can spend it whatever you want. This was interesting to me because my son, the spender, when it was all of a sudden not his money, and he figured out that, hey, Dad was giving me some extra money here, he said, oh, so I can... I don't have to spend it. I can take this money. I can make up the $5 I lost yesterday. Right. Good thinking. Um, and my daughter, she chose to spend two and save three. My point is more with Tyler that his attitude toward the dollars that he had changed greatly depending on whose dollar they were. Right? You find a lot of very generous politicians this time of year. Isn't that interesting? They're so generous, not so much with their own money, but with, with our money. Okay? That makes a difference. If they want to be very generous personally and spend all this money on all these things that they think will work, that's great. But most of the time when they're talking about generosity and investment, what they're saying is, I need to take your money for that purpose. When you look at their personal finances, you find that their attitude is a little bit different. You see, it all depends on their value, or I'm sorry, their view of ownership. Whose dollar am I spending? Whose dollar am I saving? We're just the same way, probably on a much smaller scale. That whole issue speaks directly to our story tonight. Now, this story is not a true story, but it is a story that Jesus told. And it's a story describing the kingdom of God. 
And when Jesus throws these parables, a parable is a word that simply, simply means, let me throw this out there. Let me, you know, let me explain this principle with this story. Let me throw this alongside literally what the word means. He throws out this story in Matthew chapter 25, which is where you want to turn. In Matthew chapter 25, of three stewards, three servants, who were dealt with in three very different ways. And it all came down to their view of who owns it. If we keep that in mind as we go through the story, hopefully this will affect our attitude and help us to be better stewards in our own lives. Matthew chapter 24, verses 14 through 30. I'm going to read to you from the NIV, the new, inner, the new version of the NIV. And I'll also bring in the ESV from time to time. I personally like the ESV a lot better. I think it's more accurate. But there are some areas where I think the NIV is easier to read and understand. And in some cases, maybe do a better job at the translation. So not in all cases, but Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Jesus says this. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. We're in verse 20. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked Lazy servant, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have at least received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is an interesting parable. Very politically incorrect. 
I, I seriously doubt you'll hear any of the candidates mention, mention such a story at the debates. Or if they did, they would be completely torn apart over the next few days in the media. Jesus here is not telling a story for the world to understand. That's important for us to understand. This is a kingdom story. This is, is a story designed to explain kingdom principles. If you look in Matthew 25, um, starting in verse 1, he starts with the parable of the ten virgins. And he says, At that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. So he's telling these stories as a way of explaining what it's like in the kingdom. He starts the parable of the talents, at least in Matthew's account, Jesus says, again, it will be like. So he's saying, all right, let me explain it this way, and let me explain it that way. So we understand from the stories that we're learning kingdom principles. Jesus is telling these stories to help us understand our view of ownership, our attitude of stewardship. You say, this is an odd story. Why would you pick this story, Toby? And the answer is because of what the one talent servant said. In verse 25, the reason the one talent man lost even the one talent that he had is because at his core, he was fearful. At his core, he didn't take seriously his master. Now, if that's a kingdom story, then there's lessons there for us. The research on this gets a little fuzzy because there's two meanings of the word. Now, you notice in the translation that I read, it was talking about bags of gold, right? That seems odd because you've always heard the parable of the talents, right? Well, the talent is a little confusing as a word because it meant two things. And there's no explanation given here, so it could have gone where it would have been bags of gold. But a talent was a unit of measure of, of weight, uh, so that uh, a talent of gold, which according to what I found, a talent was a weight measurement equivalent to about 75 pounds. So 75 pounds of gold or 75 pounds of silver. There's a vast difference there. In today's dollars, 75, a, a talent of gold is $1.4 million. A talent of silver is $18,000. Rounding a little bit. Okay, so if you go by the weight, there's, a, there's a, a big change. A talent was also used to describe, it was used to describe the coinage. The, the measure, using it as a measure of weight came first, but then it was later used to describe these coins that they used in trade. Being unsure as to which way Jesus was intending it, there's some differences here between talent, bags of gold. That's the reason for the difference. I, 
don't want to get too labored down in that, but basically, more or less, a talent was a significant sum of money. If you go by the the weight of it, then a talent of gold would have been about 20 years of the common day laborer's wage in their, their dollars. So it was significant, and I think that's the point that Jesus is making. These servants, these three servants, were all, whether ten, five, or one, entrusted with a significant amount of wealth that was placed in their hands. And he didn't entrust that to them without purpose. He desired for them to do something with it, to gain a return on it. The first lesson of the parable of the talents, and specifically about the talentless servant, is that it all belongs to the master. Uh, Chapter 25, verse 14, in the ESV, reads this way. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. We understand that the master in the story is Jesus. The servants in the story are us. We have, all of us, various levels of talents, things which God has entrusted to us. I believe that in some cases refers to wealth. In some cases refers to spiritual gifts. In some cases refers to fruits of the Spirit, how you're gifted, the part of the body that you are, the way in which you serve. We get focused a whole lot on what part you are or what gift you have or how much worldly wealth you've been given to manage. But if you understand the point of the story, the master is not concerned with ten or five or one. He's concerned with... What is each servant doing with what they've been given? Psalm chapter 24, verse 1 says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So the question is, how are you using what you've been given in physical goods and spiritual gifts? If it all belongs to him and he's entrusted it to you, how seriously do you take your stewardship? Your management of his things, of his gifts. There's a semi-well-known radio talk show host who starts his show some days by saying, Talent on loan from God. All right, now some people take that as being braggadocious, but I think there is a spiritual application. The parable of the talents is that we all have talent on loan from God. And if we focus on ourselves, or if we we become fearful in using our talents as God intends them in the kingdom, then we may fall into the trap of the one-talent servant, which is certainly not something we want to do. He does not distribute his wealth equally. To those with more ability, more talent, he gives more. He expects more. 
To those with less ability, he expects less. But he still expects a return on whatever he gives us, which is, leads to lesson number two. <clears throat> he expects a return. We're going to look at two separate verses in the story from the ESV. One is verse 19. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. It's a financial term. This is uh, the equivalent of probably what you do every year to some degree or another, depending on how much wealth you have, when you pay your taxes. <clears throat> you list all the things you, you've, all the income, all the assets. Uh, you take away all the deductions. You have your accountant make sure all that lines up real good. And then you pay what you owe. You settle accounts with the federal government for that year. It's interesting to me to think that God, if you think of judgment that day, that way, is going to settle accounts with you. Not based on what everyone else had or what everyone else did, but based on what you did with what he gave you. How did you manage it? The servant says <clears throat> in verse 24, He who also had received the one talent came forward saying, this is when he settles accounts. And he's, you know it's going to be bad when you start off with excuses. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you had, not, <clears throat> where you had scattered no seed. Something about that strikes me the wrong way. Is this story telling us here that, that God or that Jesus is a cruel, ruthless opportunist, capitalist, only concerned with the absolute bottom line? No, I, this is the steward's perspective. This is the one-talent one steward making excuses for how he sees God, how he sees his master. I know you gave me this, but I, I'm so afraid of you, God. I'm so afraid of what you've done, and I, I just fear you, and because I fear you, I don't want to lose any of it. And so I just dug a hole and put it in the ground. <clears throat> By the way, if you're, if you're a saver, my reaction to that is that's really bad stewardship, right? If you take a lot of money, and out of fear buried under your mattress or in the backyard in coffee cans, what's happening to that wealth? It's deteriorating. Why? Because of what? Inflation. The value of those dollars that are not being used are losing their power, and the master is deeply angered with that because he's losing not just the property, but he's, he's losing the opportunity. He understands that the time he will not get back to reinvest that one talent. Again, I don't want to take this too far because we're not talking all financial things. But financial things are, Jesus said, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. When we understand these lessons on a financial, physical, worldly level... We can learn spiritual things. There's a book 
put out several years ago called Rule One Investing. You know what Rule One Investing is? Anybody here understand what rule number one is investing? Go ahead, say it. Anybody know? Don't lose money, that's right. Okay? Rule number one is don't lose money. Rule number two? See rule number one. <clears throat> that is a worldly perspective. Very successful worldly investors understand the true loss in losing money is losing time. Because you can always get more money, but you cannot get more time. When you understand principles like uh, the power of exponential returns and the power of compounding interest, they get very nervous about losing time. So they're very wise with their investments. They have to be because they won't get the time back. You can't take the same risks when you're 65 that you can when you're 35. <clears throat> the master entrusts his servants differently. And he's concerned not with what he entrusts you, but what you do. Lesson three, <clears throat> fearful stewardship is serious business. <clears throat> Verses 25 through 27. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have at least received it back with interest. You say the master seems kind of hard. All right, let's, let's flip the script a little bit. Let's imagine that you're a retirement guy you've been investing with for 40 years. And you get to age 65 or 70. And you say, you know, I hope I, have my, I need my nest egg now because I can't work any longer. So you go to that guy and you say, all right, I'm investing this amount with you. Where is that nest egg? And how much has it grown? And he says, well, listen, here, hold on. I, listen, I know you did not want to lose it. So I just took all those checks that you wrote and I just put them in a stack right here. And here you go. You would be furious because everything that you had saved your whole life was not even worth what it was when you put it in. The Greek word here for bankers, Jesus uses this word. The Greek word is trapeza, which, which means table. And see, Brent Groves, my banker friend back then. Back in that time, bankers were well known for sitting at these small little tables where they had stacks of coins and they would do the exchanging and you know, develop the terms of financing and all of that. They would do it right there at that table. And the master says, why don't you at least leave it with them? Leave the things, at least leave it with someone who knows what they're doing. Give me a little interest. Uh, and the Greek word here is offspring. Return. Don't just go your whole life serving me and done nothing with what I've given you. The master judges the servant using his own words. He's not necessarily agreeing, by the way, but he's saying, hey, listen, if I'm a, such a hard guy, if I'm such a tyrant, then why on earth did you waste the talent? And more importantly, why on earth did you waste the time? And the answer is the steward was fearful. 
I'm not sure how many of you watch a show on ABC called Shark Tank. One of my favorite shows. But there is a, and if you don't know the show, you've got these venture capitalists, people who are doing all right. And they've got this money to invest. So they have people come with business ideas and they say, you know, here's my pitch for this business or this product, or this idea. And they'll ask a lot of questions and do their due diligence and they'll maybe make them an offer or maybe not. They'll say, well, we'll, we'll offer you this amount for this percentage of your company or whatever. So it's interesting. They've got different guys and a lady on there and they, did, they do different, they all have different investing styles. So it's very interesting to watch. One of the love-to-be-hated characters on there is Mr. Wonderful, Uncle Kevin, he calls himself. He doesn't invest very much. His name is Kevin O'Leary. He's a very successful investor. But many times I've heard him say, I feel, you know, he's absolutely, a, he's totally worldly. He says, my, my wealth is like all an army of $100 bills. And my job as their general is to send them out into battle and not lose a single one and capture as many as they can and bring them back to me. And I thought, well, that's a pretty worldly perspective. His goal is to invest in things that grow. Business, product, idea, the master's goal is the same thing. Except what he's investing, in my opinion, is not so much the wealth, it's the people he's investing in. Because look what he does. When he, when he comes to terms with the one, steward, one talent steward did, or didn't do more precisely, he takes that talent from him and he gives it to the, to the five talent guy, who's now the ten talent guy, and he gives it to him. That doesn't seem fair, but the master is very wise he invests well with good stewards. I want to talk about wicked and lazy for just a second, because that, boy, that, that seems real harsh when you come right down to it. But the, the servant was paralyzed by fear. You've probably heard of paralysis by analysis. Gets us overthinkers. Especially hard when, like, you're going to Walmart. Somebody says, go buy a box of toothpaste. And so you go down to the toothpaste aisle where there are no fewer than 112 kinds of toothpaste. And you're just, I've had this deer in the headlights moment where I can't decide. Do I want less tartar or less cavities? Do I want minty breath? Do I want white, whiter teeth? You know, it, there's all these different options. There's so many options I can't decide. That's amusing when it's talking about a little thing like that. That's dangerous when you talk about spiritual matters. Paralysis by analysis locks up churches, locks up people because of their inability to act. They're overthinking. And it's not, the, the opposite is not good either. Underthinking is not good. You know, the old adage of, if overthinking is, if you're shooting a gun, and it's ready, aim, 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 aim. Those, that's overthinking. That's paralysis by analysis. Pull the trigger! You're not going to do it perfectly, but you're going to do it better than if you did nothing. 
There's underthinking, which is ready, fire, aim. And that's not good either. Neither of those kind of servants is what the master wants. He doesn't want you to overthink it. He doesn't want you to underthink it. He just wants you to think and act accordingly. Doing something and failing is at least better than doing nothing. Because at least when you do something and fail, you learn what didn't work. But people who are afraid of failure are horrible stewards. Because they never do anything. And they waste, they squander the time. So how are you managing what God gave you to manage? How are you managing your talents? Are you saying, God can't use me? I'm really not that gifted? Are you taking time to acknowledge and recognize the talents you have been given? What about your time? How are you managing your time? You say, I don't have any time. Really, Netflix breath. Tell me about all the time you binge watch all weekend long and you don't have any time to do your homework. I'm sorry I'm picking on you because I don't know what Netflix is. Um, I'm kidding. Um, You have 86,400 seconds every day. You have the same amount of time that everyone else has. And you get to choose, and you and you and you get to choose how to spend it. Maybe better said, how it's going to spend you. And you don't get that time back. And your treasure. How do you manage your treasure? I don't have any money. Well, are you not working? Are you not budgeting? Are you spending too much? Are you not saving? Are you shackled by debt? There are reasons if you're mismanaging. The question is, why are you mismanaging? I'm not here to make you feel guilty about that. I'm just saying, if you're mismanaging your time, your treasure, or your talents, then evaluate how you're spending them and use them in a way that honors the Lord. Because God takes stewardship very, very seriously. Luke chapter 12 Jesus here speaking, he says, talking about being watchful, he says, that servant who knows his master's business, his his master's will, and does not get ready or does not do what his master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does everything deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. It's serious business in God's mind, this idea of stewardship. And he doesn't want you to be afraid. He doesn't want you to be foolish. He wants you to think and act and use your talents wisely, which leads to our last one. Use it or lose it. Don't just... Sometimes we're talking about... Um, I know your Bible will get a question about, can you lose your salvation? And Steve's answer on this is always something to the effect of, it cannot be taken from you, but you absolutely can choose to give it up. And that's the same, in my opinion, the same is true with your talents, your treasure, your time. It can't be taken from you, but you can absolutely choose to give it up. 
But the one who, whoever has been given more, they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. So you've got to learn to adjust your course and make sure your stewardship is on track. Don't just say, oh, I squandered it. But instead, adjust your life and begin to see what you've been given as a gift from God to manage well. All right, next week we're going to talk about a a lady who was absolutely guilty and um, full of shame and how Jesus dealt with her. Tonight, if you have been a poor steward, your time, your treasure, your talent... Maybe you're in such a way where you need to repent and you need to change course. You'd like our help with that. We can probably not just pray with you, but help you correct course if that need be the case. If you are not a steward of the Master, if you have not obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, and you're ready to do so tonight, I hope that you'll come. Uh, if, If you have a need on either scenario, please meet me down front. I'll be happy to help you as we stand and sing.